I'm Nurse Jessica Seitz, along with Nurse Erica. We're Nurses Uncorked, the podcast that takes nursing facts with nursing comedy and makes a little cocktail out of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Nurses Uncorked podcast. It is myself, Nurse Jessica Seitz, and Nurse Erica, my co-host, here again for another um, fun-filled week. And again, we have a guest with us. I love when we have guests because I get so sick of hearing Erica talking, like that she just yaps and yaps, and it sometimes hurts my skull. So I, when we can break the monotony of that, it's just, it's just amazing. Oh, did I say that out loud? Um, uh-huh. Anyways. Yeah. I, I had to, Erica. So this Uh week, um, for the month of Halloween, we thought it would be really cool to do an episode based on um, nursing stories, like spooky nursing stories. So I thought, what better way to kind of get into that than to invite the spookiest person I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) She's not spooky. But she does deal with some stuff that might be spooky to some people. Um, We have hospice nurse Penny here with us today on the podcast. Welcome, Nurse Welcome, Penny. Welcome, Penny. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy so to be happy here. happy to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank so you for well, having me. For people that don't know who Hospice Nurse Penny is, which I can't imagine that they don't, but um, tell us a little bit um, about yourself, uh, Penny, and you can start however you want. Start with what kind of nurse you are, your background, your social media. Just give us a a whirlwind of, of who Nurse Penny is. So I am a nationally certified hospice and palliative care nurse. I've been a hospice nurse for about 18 years. I've only been a nurse for about 20 years. I was a late bloomer, so I didn't go to nursing school until I was 40. Um, so really hospice has been the majority of my career in nursing. I started in um, inpatient hospice care and did that for many years. And then I became a hospice home hospice case manager. And then I moved into an education and quality role. And I'm currently a quality manager for a very large hospice agency in Washington, where I live. I am a passionate advocate for hospice care and end of life care. And I have always found that when I've been with the families of my patients, if I was able to normalize those um, normal death and dying symptoms that we see people go through, they were um, really relieved of the fear and anxiety they had about those things. And so when I got onto social media during the pandemic in 2020, um, it wasn't originally my goal to talk about hospice. I was trying to learn how to shuffle dance, but I never did. (laughs) And so... So I decided I would uh, tell a hospice story. I had looked up hospice on uh, TikTok, and I really didn't find that there was any hospice educators uh, at that time. There was nobody talking about, you know, like really what to expect during the dying process. And so I I started um, creating videos, and I do different styles of videos. I do TikTok trends and dancing and lip syncing and pointing at words. So I can do eight second video about death and dying, or I can do, you know, like a 10 minute video about uh, death and dying. I do all kinds of different styles of, um, of teaching. I'm on all of the social media platforms, um, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, the how, do they, how do they find what is your, is your handle the same everywhere or is it yeah, different hospice nurse penny on all the all the social media platforms hospice nurse penny 
Before we get into like our spooky stories, how do you think the majority of people receive this topic? Like for, for the first person that comes across your content, do you feel like they either love it or they hate it or are most people receptive like to the topic? What would you say? I think, I mean, I think the majority, I mean, I have a lot of followers, so I think the majority of people who come across it like it. And there are some people who hate it and there's nothing you can ever do to change their minds. They think that hospice killed their person and they're never going to change their mind about it. And then there's some who admittedly have said to me, you know, when I first saw you, I didn't really like what you were doing. But as I kept seeing you come across my feed, I have really learned a lot and I appreciate what you're doing. And it's also about what kind of style of uh, learner you are and how you respond to the type of video that you're seeing me doing. If you're an older person, you might not think it's cool for me to dance around to the TikTok trending song of the day and lip sync and and, um, just have a few words. And then if you're younger, then you might really like that. And I've had people who have really responded well to those short little clips um, and, and get it. And some people don't get it, you know, and they'll ask, what, what do you mean by that? Because they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, it's hard to give the full details on something in an eight second video, but um, so some people get it. Some people don't, but, um, but people uh, overall respond really well, I think. Yeah. We have hospice in common. I have a focus in pediatric hospice, but I don't do a lot of content on it. You know, I focus more on the advocacy side, but I originally started following you because of your hospice content, because I love it, of course. And I'm also a big advocate proponent of hospice. And so thank you for everything that you do with educating the community at large, because I know it's not easy. And like you said, there's a lot of people that are very resistant to it and, and frankly, mean and accusatory and Mm -hmm. um, just have outlandish accusations for hospice nurses in general. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In general, but then, and then even targeting me and the other hospice nurses on social media specifically within their hate groups. And there is a hate group on Facebook that uh, murdered by hospice. Um, oh, are you boy. serious? Are you, oh, I are you like, seen that. Are you the cover photo, Penny? Do they have you as the banner? <laughs> well, right now they have one of nurse hospice nurse Julie's recent videos on there oh, and they're slamming no. her for what she did. But yeah, they've gone after both of us and, um, they come into my Facebook um, comment section and, um, you know, they say terrible things. You know, yeah. you're a Penny, killer, you, you're you a murderer. You haven't made it on Facebook till you have a hate group. I have one too. So <laughs> don't, don't worry. Mine's called Oof, I'm Nurse Jessica Seitz. No oh, way. Really? really? Yeah. And the, the cover photo is a picture of me getting Botox. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if I have time. a hate group Which, yet, and, but and you know you shouldn't be doing that if you're a nurse because I was told that as a hospice nurse who is a proponent for natural death, how dare I get a facelift? What the <laughs> wrong with you? Like, as why would one you has do anything to do with the other? I'm always told yeah. how dare I wear makeup <clears throat> that patients don't want to see that. They don't want to be in the hospital and see they're not at their best. They don't want to see you at your best. I'm like, says who? I have had that too. I had that too. I probably the same person commenting the same type of thing. They're dying. They don't want to see you looking good. Like I'm like, well, I don't know where you work. I work labor and delivery and we're not supposed to look. 
I, I, I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you, honey, but I've never had anybody get upset that I had makeup on when I delivered their baby. Um, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know what to tell you. Haters but, um, gonna hate. They got nothing I, better to do than sit in their mom's basement and ha- you know, hammer out things on the keyboard because they're anonymous yeah. and they can get away with it. Penny, do you feel like a lot of the people that their initial reaction is possibly um, mean is because it's an uncomfortable topic and maybe they feel uh, nervous watching it because yes. it's stuff that, yeah, I, I mean, that's got to be a lot of it is it's just um, uncertainty and, and awkwardness to the person. So what better way than to be an ass? And respond yeah. with a mean uh, with a mean comment. You know, I think it's it's definitely a topic that's not talked about like it should be. Um, we we actually talked with John Edward about that. Like it's just so taboo to talk about dying. You know. No, I mean, yeah, it shouldn't be because we're all going to die someday. You know, but we have really taken death and death care out of the home and we threw it in the hospital and we told doctors that they need to do everything they can to save people because if they don't you know and the person dies that's a failure so they don't want to stop treatment till the last possible minute and they don't feel comfortable talking to people about the fact that their person is dying and then we're trying to move it back into the home where it belonged before you know, and, and that's hard because then families are having to take care of their dying person and, you know, it's a hard job to do and, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's just taboo because people got, there's a, especially a, an older generation of, of people who got to the point where they felt like with the medical advances that they saw, like, think about the, now I'm a lot older than you guys, but I mean, when I was a kid, we had a party line on the telephone <laughs> cell phones didn't come around till I was 40. You know, I mean, so when you, you see all this thing and it's like this amazing, marvelous um, movement towards uh, the future, right? And so you think, wow, it's just all the way from here. You're just going to keep getting more and more and more. So these people back in the day, the older generation, like 70, 80 or 80 years old, who saw like, vaccines and how they started working better. I mean, vaccines have been around long, longer than that, but they, they started seeing like the advances in medical care. And, and it's like, the sky is the limit. We can make people live forever. And, and so I think that's where it really comes from is, is there's, I, I think more, there's a generation of people in that age range who are less willing to talk about it because it became impossible to think that people could die when they could be kept alive for so long in the hospital. I think younger people are more um, interested in, in hearing about it, to be honest. If you had to pick one thing that you think is uh, like the number one misconception of the public for hospice, what would you say? I think it's a toss up between morphine and um, (laughs) I know it's so hard. And you know, starvation. Not, starvation. Yeah. Not, not feeding, giving liquids, fluids at the end of life. What do you think? There's so many, there's so many, I, I think morphine is a big one, uh, but just in general that hospice causes, pe- I would have to say, let's put, let's not drill down to morphine or starvation. Let's go a step higher. And, 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 and generally speaking, people think that hospice makes people die faster. They think people they go do. into hospice and it causes they them do. to die. Yeah. 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 Totally That's, negating the fact that they had to meet criteria, right, in order to get to on, be on hospice, hospice, that they were already deemed yeah. to be probably within six months or less of dying, you know, but they just want to mm-hmm. ignore that. Well, yeah, let's just forget all that. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, but it, it's it, it has a, a lot people, to do with late referrals and people dying soon. With like somebody was in my live on yeah. TikTok today, and she said my mom was on hospice for one day and then she died. My that own happens. dad was on hospice for less than twelve hours, and so people are faint. Like that's why I love Jimmy Carter, right? Because he elected hospice early, and he's still alive after seven months. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, right on. The longer he lives, the better it is for us. Right. Because everybody else, like the dude from, uh, it's true that that yeah, well, that singer that died of liver cancer, uh, you know, somebody one? once told me that. Oh yes, 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 oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He was on hospice for like a day or two days. Mm-hmm. And so people see, oh, this guy went on hospice. Oh, he died. It's like instant, right? Like they think hospice is a I, death sentence. And as soon as you go on, you die. So that's we not have a patients on service sometimes for a couple of years. You know, it just depends, right? If they yeah. continue to meet criteria, you know, there, there's no, there's no way to really gauge, but that's not uncommon to have someone on hospice for a day. Or less than a day. That happens. It happens. Yeah. 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 It's unfortunate, but yeah. Well, I know we, we could do a whole podcast on just hospice for sure, but I promised the viewers that we were going to do a Halloween themed podcast. So that's what we're going to do. And, um, we're going to talk about, uh, some spooky stories. Um, I personally, I can't say that I have any that I've really encountered during my nursing career. So I have a lot from the viewers. I don't know how but, you um, go say, that long being a nurse and not have any of your own stories. Granted, I mean, your labor have, and delivery, I, but I have I'm personal and stories. I, have I have, I do not have work-related stories. I have horrible things that have happened in my nursing career, but I do not have any particular spooky. Thank goodness. I just, I don't, I mean, knock on something, but I, I, I don't. So when I, it's my turn, I'm going to do um, stories from the viewers, but um, let's start. Well, I think our guest should be the one to start. I don't know if you have a story in particular you'd like to share, Penny, something that's happened with you, um, but maybe just something that um, is just out of the norm. It's not something, or you can explain it in the best way. I know a lot of things in hospice are actually considered the norm, but it would be possibly spooky to other people that don't really understand it. So um, I'll let you take it away with that. Okay. So um, I am a day shift nurse. I hate working night shift. I found that the people who work night shift are a little bit, you're kind of a different breed of person, (laughs) somebody that can work at night, right? You're a little, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the edge. Yeah. Okay. So I was working night shift in our hospice care center and we had these pagers that um, either the, the people in the room could page us and it would go, the room number would go to the pager or after eight o'clock at night, it would go to the doorbell. So if somebody rang the doorbell, it would go to our pager and it would say front door, side door, back door. So I was by myself at the nurse's station and my pager went off front door. So I walk to the front door, open the front door, nobody's there. Like, okay. That's kind of weird. Okay. Go back to the nurse's station. A few minutes later, front door goes off again. It says front door. Okay. All right. I go to the front door, open the door. Nobody's there. So I go back to the nurse's station and it happens again. And this time I come back oh to the gosh. nurse's station and the night shift nurse who normally works night shift is there. And I said, 
I keep going and answering the front door because my pager's going off and there's nobody there. And she goes, oh yeah, that happens all the time. The spirits are coming to get one of our patients. And then just like right after that, my pager goes off. It's a room, a room number. I go down to the room and the person had just died. Wow. 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 It's almost like the, the, the sensor or whatever could pick up that somebody was there. Like, that's crazy. Did it, did it spook you out or were you just like at that point, like, ah, okay, thanks for telling me. Well, when she first said it to me, I was like, yeah, night shift nurses, they are so crazy. Like they come up with the, you know, like what? Like Like, how many Red Bulls have you had? I know. Right. And then after that, I was like, whoa, that was, that was wild. There, there's yeah, a lot of those kind of prophecy ones when someone is about to pass. You see that in like nursing homes. A lot of the time, if it, some nursing homes have like a cat, a communal cat or a dog oh, right, yes, for the nursing the home. Cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they will, the cat will go in the patient's room that they've never gone in before. And that means within the shift or the 24 hours, that person inevitably passes. That happens I all the time. I saw that, that as a CNA. I absolutely believe that. Animals, they are very good at sensing that kind of stuff. That is. They are. Oh, my God. I just thought of another story. This is even Let's better. Okay. Tell us. Tell so, us. So we have this this patient. She's got ALS. Um, and so down the hall, she's down on the left. And then we have another patient, a guy with liver failure. And he's on the right. And he's got this little yappy dog. And he's kind of unresponsive, like he's not really there anymore. The dog's always on the bed. Well, our patient down the hall had been with us for several months, and she made a decision to do VSED because she was like, I'm done. I don't want to eat or drink anymore. I'm going to be done. And she knew that we did um, this uh, honor toast after a person died. We would have this honor cart with sparkling champagne, not champagne, but uh, cider, and we'd Mm -hmm. all stand around and we'd do a little thing. So Aww. I wasn't working. This was told, this story was told to me, but it was evening shift. And she had, t- she had said, I want to do the honor toast with you guys. And I'll tell you when it's time. So she calls the nurse in and she says, I, I want to do the honor toast tonight. And so they all came in around her bed and they're all, um, have their little sparkling cider and they're all saying what they, what she meant to them, you know, and after the last person spoke, she died. She just closed her eyes and died, which Erica will tell you, that's just not very common that people die like that. No. So down the hall in this other room, all of a sudden this dog starts yapping and yapping and the guy sits up in the bed and he looks at the door and he goes, who are you? Oh, okay. And then he lays back down and there was nobody at the door. So he possibly saw her. Yeah. Leaving. Wow. That's freaking, that's freaking nuts. I know. Isn't that crazy? I will say that. I I still have chills about that one. That happened so many years ago and I still get chills when I, when I think about that. The only, the only thing I can somewhat relate to with my own personal experience would be the, my mother died several years before my father did. I don't think I've told you the story, Erica. And so when my father was finally on hospice, he was dying of um, alcoholism. Um, he was on his final days. I mean, he wasn't at this point, obviously wasn't drunk or anything. He had been had 
serious DTs and at this point was bed bound and um, had pressure ulcers and we tried antibiotics. Long story short, um, I, I'm, I'm only prefacing that because I don't want to tell this story and people think, oh, well, he was drunk. That's why. No, the, he was just an end of life because of liver failure and all sorts of different things and infections. Um, but, you know, uh, me and my sisters were there with him and uh, he, he would be coherent most of the time. Like he was he was doing OK, but you knew it was it was getting towards the end. Um, and he looks out into the hallway and he's like, there she is again. I'm like, who? And he's like, your mother. She keeps walking back and forth and back and forth. And he's like, and sometimes she comes and just sits right here on the bed. He's like, mm. I, I don't know what, what she wants. She doesn't say much, but she's, she keeps looking at, I have to talk like my dad when I do it with his accent. Maggie, she keeps walking. <laughs> That's what he'd say, <laughs> up and down the hall. And he's like, and then she come and sit here on the edge of the bed. We were all like, we don't see mom, dad. And he's like, what do you mean? She's right there. Like he would talk clear as day. Like he, he saw her. He said she was there. And um, that's a common that I would one. Say that, oh yeah, yeah, I got hundreds of stories like that one. Yeah, but and for me that um, doesn't work hospice and isn't used to that, like it was like, yes, yeah, okay, yep. dad. Yep. Like that's that's, and I think when that we, that's amazing. That's so cool. Like yeah. when we talked to if, John if Edward, really happens, he said, "Remember, he said no one dies alone." Yeah. Remember, he did. yeah. Some, he said even if your family isn't comes. there in the room, there is yeah. they never are alone. Somebody is yeah. always with them. So don't feel bad. That was a pretty powerful thing because I think a lot of Which people Which I think feel is guilty. comforting. That's comforting, right? Oh yeah. That's comforting. Yeah. Yeah, but like families saying, who aren't expecting it will be sometimes concerned and they want medication. Mm -hmm. They think they're hallucinating. Yes. But, and even patients, because, you know, people can have deathbed visions weeks before they die when they're mm -hmm. alert, they're not on meds, has nothing to do with their disease. You know, yeah. I had one lady who, and I, and as a hospice nurse, that is an actual sign that we assess for. Are you seeing mm -hmm. dead people? Because it does help us to understand where they are in their dying process. And I had one lady when I asked her that, you know, have you seen anything out of the ordinary, like deceased loved ones or anything like that? And she was like, oh, no, no. You know, and then um, I said, oh, okay, because that's normal. And she said, it is. And I go, yeah, it's normal. People see, you know, visions at the end of their life all the time. And she said, oh, okay, well, um, my dad's standing in the kitchen over there. And, of Aww. course, there was nobody there. Oh, but so she yeah. was scared to I say it. I didn't tell it. you because I thought you would think I was crazy. Yeah, oh, she said, my I, gosh. I thought you would think I was crazy. So, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's unnerving to them. But at some point, and sometimes they don't start as actual visions of people. They might be shadows, and they're not sure what they're seeing. But right. generally, the overall feeling is of comfort. Like, it brings them uh, peace yeah. and comfort. Yeah, I've and never seen anyone that's whole, afraid seen, by it. I like, ever. I was going to say, I like when Penny does the videos of people reaching. Like, they're oh, reaching. Yeah. My dad did that I, I, towards the very end. He would, that's you could common. see his hands, like, what, I'm, and we're like, what in the heck is yeah, he Yeah, there's doing? nothing like, there. Well, what is he reaching for? Yeah. Doesn't it yeah. make you think, though, that he was reaching for her? Because, see, you know, I never gave that a whole lot of thought with the reaching. We see it all the time. All and the then time. I started thinking, you know, like, 
a lot of times our patients report that their their loved ones they see are up above them or in the corner of the room. I've had lots of patients who could see them in the corner. And I started thinking, hey, you know what? That's what this is probably all about. They're reaching yeah, for those so visions. Cool. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I think that, that... Uh, Eric, let's let you tell one of your stories because I know okay. you have a couple personal ones, I right? I do. I do. I have some. Um, so, you know, my background in patient pediatrics, when I was a pretty new nurse, the hospital had built a whole brand new tower. So we had spent um, a whole shift moving patients one by one from the old unit that was going to be, uh, you know, kind of transformed into something else into a whole new tower. And so the old unit was empty. There was not a single patient left. We, it had been hours since we had transferred everyone. And I was sent to go back to the old unit just to gather equipment that was still there. Now, I was the only one in the unit. And it's, it's the only place when you get off the elevator. It's this one unit. I can see the elevator. I know for a fact I'm the only one there. I'm gathering pole socks, machines, and different things putting it on a cart, and I hear a call light go off. <clears throat> okay. You know, that happens sometimes, right? So I go and I look in the room. Of course, there's no one there. I cancel the call light, go on about my business. A couple minutes later, happens again. Same room. And I'm like, <laughs> we don't want this right now. We do not want this right now. <laughs> I went in the room. I disconnected oh gosh, yeah. it, pulled it out of the wall. Okay. There's Don't no tell way it went that off again. it could. It went off again after I got back out of the room, went off a third time. That's when I just took whatever I had already on the cart and left. I'm like, well, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not waiting to see what comes next, what this means. That's too much. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wow. interesting. I, yeah, that, that is I, I don't think I would want to find out either, even though it probably wasn't anything bad. I mean, it probably wasn't if it was a spirit or, or whatever. Yeah, but you know, it's not necessarily malicious, but, still, it's, but different. It's, it's Why scary. take your chances? <laughs> right. Yeah, it right. Can be, it can be. Yeah, no, it could be a bad person. <laughs> it could be definitely something there. that's unnerving. All right, so um, let's do, I'm going to switch to one of um, the ones that I got from the the viewers the okay. ones that they sent into me so let me a see lot here. of viewers okay, sent us a lot of them so thank you everyone that sent them in I'm gonna I honestly have not screened these so I'm just gonna read the first one that I have here and we'll see what it is okay um so I started out in ICU as a new grad 2011 and could only get a PRM position and not the hours I wanted and kept getting called off totally crazy to think about now so after about seven to eight months, I got a hospice job on the side, the start of my nursing burnout, she put in quotes. <laughs> now, by this time, I had worked several postmortem deaths in the hospital, but it was always group effort to get it done. So after I finished training with hospice, I got sent to work my first hospice death by myself. Who lets a new grad do their first hospice death on their own? Um, got to do it sometime. Mark, she says. <laughs> the family had found the patient around six o'clock that morning and wasn't exactly sure when he had passed during the night. It was storming like crazy that day and was still jet black outside from storm and rain when I got there, with the exception of lightning. I had never seen this patient before, so I go in, greet the family, say my condolences, 
Then they take me to his bedroom upstairs and I tell them that I will give him a bath and get him ready for the funeral home. He was curled up in a ball on his side with his eyes open when I find him. I get the water ready and straighten him out and close his eyes to start the bath. And I, she says, I shit you not. Those were exact words. I shit you not. Um, the exact second I touch his face with the wash rag, he opens his eyes, turns his head, and his arm flexed up towards his face, followed by lightning. I dropped the rag and screamed like a little girl and stood up against the wall for a good while. Obviously, first time seeing rigor mortis like that, and I could not yeah. get out of that house fast <laughs> enough. The funeral home finally came, and they sent two men who were old enough to be zombies themselves, and they dropped this tiny, they dropped this tiny little patient when they were going down the stairs. Oh my gosh, oh that's no. awful. I've worked so many deaths in ICU and hospice since then, but I will never forget that patient or the eerie day coming and going to that house. So is that rigor mortis? Is that what she experienced? I don't know anything about this. What the hell was that? I don't know about that, that but sounds the eyes a little... opening, I was going to say, how did she even get him to stay shut? Because I've never been successful at keeping, you know, we just give up yeah. pretty much. Just They're open. They're open. They're going to be open. I don't even try to close yeah. them, but or it doesn't the family, surprise me. Maybe the family thought he was dead and he was still doing an agonal breath. That's maybe what I'm thinking. Like, maybe she should have presumably a checked prior to the, she would have had to pronounce. Well, she says you she know. just walked. I mean, if they in. called her for a death visit, it sounds like he would have been dead for a while when she got there. So I, I follow some morticians who have said that, it, you know, when people say that a body can sit up after it dies, it's absolutely bullshit. That it, they, mm. it doesn't ever happen. No, they that doesn't that, happen. Well, I'll tell you what does what happen like... in the morgue. Okay, my, my ex-husband was a coroner, right? So I spent a lot of time in the morgue. And this is not uh, anything unnatural. That's but what's wrong free... with you, Erica. No. I know, right? No, I know. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it, it's not un unnatural or anything, but it just would freak me out. So, you know, it, it's not like in the in the TV shows and the movies where they're all in drawers stacked up to the ceiling. That's, you know, not usually how it is in a morgue. Um, they're usually laid out in on a bunch of different gurneys in a big room, right? Covered in a sheet. And because of the smell, as you can imagine, there's really strong, you know, air filtration systems. And basically, it's always running constantly to circulate the air in and out. And so because there's such a strong fan and circulation, the sheets are constantly rustling. So you are oh. constantly out of the corner of your eye going, I know that one just moved. I know it moved. <laughs> and it, it's I'm really sure. disconcerting. I, I freak that out. Would be, would... All right, I'm going to stop before we get into another story. It's time for the nursing problem of the week, Erica, and you know that it's just time. I mean, that that's how okay. we do it here on Nurses Uncorked. We just out of the blue, bam, we stop our train of thought and we get into the nursing problem because Erica likes the way we do this. So we're going to keep doing it. What's our nursing problem of the Jessica keeps wanting to change it. And I'm like, no, this is I've good. I've told this her that I think it stops the flow, but Erica's like, people like it. So we're going to do it. <laughs> well, they well, keep sending well, us stuff. Okay. They do. They so, do. So tell, tell us what somebody has sent you this week. Yeah. So I recently reported on a state that is about to get their first nursing union, that they had never had any nursing unions. And so I've been inundated with messages from nurses 
from states that they feel can't have unions, you know, because they're just not educated on it. And and it's always a, well, when when are the unions going to come to Florida, to Alabama, to, you know, wherever they are? When are they going to when mm-hmm. are they going to get here? You know, why haven't they come here yet? <laughs> Here's the thing. Unions do not just magically appear. You don't just sit they around don't. and wait for them to just appear one day. They're not. They theories. don't. <laughs> weird. They can't come without someone going and asking them to come. You know, there's a whole process involved. So employees have to put in the work. You have to go out. You have to look at all the unions in your area. You can kind of interview them, find a good fit. Basically, you need to start the process of recruiting a union. A lot of the initial work is employees doing it. It's not the union yet until it's official. So please, you guys, do not sit around and, you know, on a hope and a prayer that one day you're going to go into work and, th- and see that the union has magically appeared because that's not how it works at all. Well, because I can tell work. you in Florida, they make them disappear as fast as they come on the hospital grounds. <laughs> they get those fairies right off of the the people passing out <laughs> flyers, they're escorted off immediately. So if there is a union ferry, they're 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 quickly uh, exited. So um, I I definitely agree with that because it's not like it's just a oh here they are. Yeah, I like, swear nurses really sit around thinking I, that. I never, I, you know what? I never have given it thought one way or the other. Um, but now that you mention that, it's like, of course. It, I, the unions aren't going to go to the hospital and start trying to recruit the nurses to to become unionized. So, I mean, I right. watched Norma Yeah, Ray, there's rules. So, it doesn't work yeah. at Norma Ray. So, yeah. Eric, wait, so who is it? So, because I'm, you know, Eric, I'm learning. The people that would come to our hospital in the parking lot trying to stir up, hey, you guys probably need a union. Who Who is that? Other nurses? Or is it? union representatives like who who are these people that are coming and doing this it could be either so initially you go out like i said you can interview a few different unions or maybe you just find one initially and they're gonna give you these cards typically you hear me talk about sign the union cards always sign the union cards right and they so the union cannot officially come in until you have enough percentage of these signed cards, right? And then you can hold the election. So in the beginning, it really is up to the employees to kind of go around and get these cards signed, you know, but the union can, you know, they have to abide by a lot of different rules that's spelled out in the National Labor Relations Act, but they can be outside the hospital. So they can try to catch people coming and going if they're off property, that kind of thing. It yeah. literally was like as you were pulling into the parking lot is where yeah. they, they would be. And they'd try to hand you information. And then they right. would just vanish. <laughs> they were gone. <laughs> they were poof. Poof. Security would Up and vanish like a fart in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, did we answer the nursing problem? The the problem was, what the hell yeah, is the don't, problem? Don't sit around and wait for the union to to come, you know, galloping in on a magic unicorn and save the day, you as employees need to put in the work and get the ball rolling. Okay. All right. That's, that's good. That's good to know. Cause it, it, if you wait around, it's probably not going to happen. So I I like that answer. It's very to the point. So that's good. All right. Let's get back into some spooky shit now. All right. (laughs) 
<laughs> now that we've talked unions, um, he goes, we know Erica loves that. Uh, let's, let's get into another story. And I'm just going to take over because this is a good, sounds like a good one. Well, let's, let's, let's do it. And then we'll go around the room with uh, Penny and Erica again. All right. Okay. I was working yet another shift in the ER, peak of COVID years, and a patient came in with a dislocated wrist post-ladder fall with absent radial pulse. I love how nurses do these stories. They give, they're so descriptive. It's like they're charting. Right. Narrative, <laughs> he, had to, yeah. he had to do a reduction <laughs> of his wrist to at least reestablish blood flow, and the doc had hope that maybe this would prevent surgery. Anyways, we provided education of the procedure and that ketamine may cause hallucinations. We told him to think happy thoughts while he was doing, while the drug is short-lived. Okay, sorry. Well, tell him to do happy thoughts while the drug is short-lived. He said, okay, I'll think of God and maybe I can talk to him too. The doctor and I chuckled and rolled our eyes needing to get this done. IV ketamine was pushed, wrist was reduced, and patient was woken up. Okay, Mr. Smith, can you hear us? Are you awake? He then slowly came to it. Yes, I'm awake. Doc said, let's take another x-ray to see the progress. We may need to repeat the process. Patient said, okay, I just want to let you know that our God is proud of you and that you are in the place you need to be. This is wow. the doc saying, Th thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, like, I haven't read this. Pa patient. He also said, you need to watch your mouth. Oh, the doc replied, what? Patient. He said, you need to learn to watch your mouth. I'm sorry, sir, but I don't know you enough to tell you that. But that is his message to you. Doc was shaken. He cusses a lot and speaks out in passion. He cusses freely at the nurse's station. But during the patient's care, Doc had not cussed during this interaction. We stepped out of the room for x-ray. Doc looked at me and said, that mother really Dr. Jesus <laughs> I said doc you're proving his point we went back to the room x-ray showed improvement but doc wanted to repeat the process to prevent surgery patient agreed and he goes back under ketamine mind you I'm 14 weeks pregnant nobody knows I'm having a girl nor am I showing through my scrubs oh my god this is getting weirder patient wakes Keeps up going from the second going. reduction I know I start to apply his splint and he looks at me and says I talked to him again. He wanted me to tell you that your little girl is going to change the world. The hairs on the back of my neck. Oh my God, I have goosebumps right now down both legs. Jesus. I'm, I'm, th wow. That's not from the story. That's me saying that. Um, uh, I'm sure without my mask, you would have seen my mouth had dropped wide open. I said, oh, well, there's another nurse here who's having a girl. Are you sure it's me? He replied while he dazed to my badge. Yes. He said your name. I walked out shaken. The doc was shaken. Doc asked me if I told him about my pregnancy, and I said no. He then asked, are you actually having a girl? And I replied, yes, I found out yesterday. We stood in the break room trying to process. That is a good freaking story. That's a yeah, good one. Yeah, that is good. And it makes me wow. wonder how old her daughter is now if, you know, how long ago has she Ooh. done anything to change the world? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Did she change the world? Good question. Wow. What I mean, just even, just even being able to say you're pregnant, you're having a girl would have been good enough to. Wait a minute. Did the, whole... the man die? Wait, what about that part of the story? Did oh, yeah. he die? No, I mean, he had he was... a fractured wrist. But he was talking to God. I don't know. No. 
Oh no, he was being he was under uh, ketamine. I mean, I thought what, does ketamine you know, take you okay, to God? If, if well, so, ketamine can, somebody... can make you well, hallucin hallucinate. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay, so I've had people who have said that they had visions when they were in the ICU, and I think when you are close to death or when your mind is opened in some other way with, with chemical, whatever, pharmaceuticals, um, it, it's like it lowers the veil or something, you know? Yeah. I think and sometimes I we chop, chop it up to I, ICU psychosis, right? But it makes mm -hmm. you wonder mm -hmm. how much of it is perhaps like, something like, else. Well, you know, your inhibitions a... almost, like where you aren't uh, judgmental, you aren't... Yes. Um, like a typical human, you know, you put mm -hmm. yourself maybe in a place that you wouldn't typically put yourself that you're more receptive. That's a great point. Yeah. That could well, definitely there's this be. whole theory about people deathbed visioning and that being caused by DMT, which is a chemical that they have proven that rats who are dying excrete a small amount of this DMT from their brain. They haven't proven it with humans. But DMT is found naturally in plants and um, like Native Americans and, and natives from other countries used to use certain psychedelic plants to elevate their consciousness and be able to communicate with the spirits of their dead. Yeah. So I, I mean, I used to be like people telling me it's DMT all the time. I'm sick of hearing it. But then I did some research about it and I found this out and I thought, yeah. okay, well, it, it, that doesn't have to be like DMT and deathbed visions do not have to be mutually exclusive. Like maybe True. that is why people are having deathbed visions, but it doesn't mean that they're not really there. It doesn't mean that those spirits aren't really there. It means that the DMT is, is lowering the veil, if you will, yeah. heightening the awareness, um, you know, being able to put people into this whatever place where they can see these spirits of their of their dead loved ones. Yeah, they're just more open so, to it and more so, receptive. Yeah. It's I like swear, I think that drop that's an acid. Why... Haven't you ever done acid or mushrooms? <laughs> Not yet, I mean, but do you have any? No, <laughs> I mean, Not I've been in a few times. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 lived, I lived in the hey, 80s, Penny, you know. Penny, <laughs> in the 70s and 80s, I think I was still too young. But um, I bet you have some good stories. We could probably do another podcast on that. Yeah. I would love, to, I would love to hear hear about that. But I think that that's almost why psychic mediums are able to connect the way that they do is because they're able to zone in and they know how to reduce their uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, open the veil, reduce your inhibitions, um, and get kids to a zone. too. Children. Yes. Like my yeah, daughter had uh, an invisible friend when she was little. Yeah, yeah. who, who knows who that was? Yeah, yeah. it was Li it was Lindsay. She was this big. She wore pink, and she got hit by a car. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm telling you, Kit. Wow. Kids, oh, so that that's another thing. My daughter. So my my father did meet my youngest one, Denali, and he. Um, she was probably about a year old or so um, when he passed. So shortly after he passed, when she was able to start talking, verbalizing more, maybe by like 18 months or so up until she was two years, um, there'd be many times we'd be outside and she'd either be on like our little, um, we have a bench that swings and we also have a swing set. Um, there was many times she'd be like, oh, look, look up there. 
that that looked like Papa. So my husband's grandfather looks a lot like my dad. And she would say, look, that that guy looked look like Papa. And I'm like, what what guy? That, that guy, Papa. Like, and this would happen like every few days, literally for like three or four months straight. Um, but it was it was always more so when we were outside, and I don't know why. Um, but just the craziest stuff, like just weird thing. You see that guy there? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't see who, who do you see? You know? And then it just went, went away one day. I, 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 I don't know. I think kids definitely, um, they're just not, I don't want to say jaded. Maybe that's a bad word, but they're just not. They just um, don't know it's that it's, it's, yeah, yeah, and it's they're, not going to be acceptable for them to say that it. It's not impo- that it's impossible for them to see those things. Mia used right. to tell me, she would tell us we couldn't sit down because we would sit on Lindsay if we didn't. And now <laughs> as an adult, so she's 27 now, and I've asked her recently about Lindsay. Like what, and she's like, all I can remember is that um, she wore pink all the time, and she was really tiny, and I killed her off. And I said, what do you mean you killed her off? And she said, I just remember saying that she was hit by a car. And I was like, well, don't you think that maybe she was hit by a car and she was the spirit of the little girl that got hit by a car? She's like, oh, I don't know. I never really thought about that. But maybe she got to an age that she realized this isn't something I should be seeing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then and then she stopped. She stopped seeing it. But well, influenced by my brother, her uncle, who's Mm -hmm. an atheist. So thinking that that's impossible Uh, now as an an adult, she's like, it's not possible. But then I started like, well maybe she's like hmm. all right let's get back to it who has a story okay, they okay. want to share erica do you have one or I have does one. penny have I do. go erica no erica right, has one because i know she had another one so we'll do erica's all right go for yeah it. okay uh pete's oncology night shift admitted Again? a little yeah admitted a little girl um first time she had been admitted newly diagnosed and put her in a room that a long-term patient had been in for, I don't know, close to a year, a little boy named Billy. And Billy uh, had passed not too long, maybe two, three weeks before that. And it was a hard one for the unit. You know, it was a patient that we were all very attached to. And it was a hard one. We were still kind of reeling from it. Uh, And so we admitted little girl to Billy's room and she didn't know anything of Billy, had no idea. And uh, ended up waking up in the middle of the night when I went in to check the pump or something. And she said, you know what? I had a dream. And Billy came to me in a dream and said, it's going to be okay. Oh, wow. And I just remember standing there absolutely frozen. Not like I didn't want to scare her or look startled. But at the same time, I was kind of riveted and not able (laughs) to react momentarily. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that was one I'll never forget. Yeah. Did she die, that little girl? To my knowledge, no. When I left there, she was still kind of, a, you know, you on wonder, and off like, again she patient. Visioning? She would come in was for she... treatments. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think she made it as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's just Penny, do you, do you have another story that you want to share or... I do have one that is pretty, like, if you want to talk creepy, creepy, spooky, oh, the and also creepier, uh, the better. Yes. a lot of conje- conjecture on my part, 
So at the Hospice Care Center, we had a patient who was a sex offender. He came over from McNeil Island, which is a prison island for sex offenders. And he was actively dying, meaning he's unresponsive. Like he's not going anywhere. And there was a guard at the bedside. So first I got to give this a little background. So when people are dying... They have like this glaze, they get this glazed over look in their eyes. And a nun once explained to me that that means that the spirit has left and the body is still here doing the work of dying. So when people are dying, they get this glazed look, like this Mm -hmm. far away, not focused on, lights are on, but nobody's home. Erica, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So, so this guy is dying, actively dying, and the guard is at the bedside. And I said to the guard, he must have done something really bad for you to still have to be here because obviously not going anywhere. I didn't say that mm-hmm. part, but I'm thinking like, dude, this guy's not going anywhere except for, you know, on a gurney right. with his head covered up. And he goes like, oh, you don't even know to know what he did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I thought to myself, mm-hmm. I don't want to know what he did because I have to treat all my patients the same, right. with the same compassion, you know, and care. I'm not going to treat them any differently because that's my job to be a nurse for him. So I was. So as he got closer to the end of life, he never had that faraway look in his eyes. Like he looked like he was in there the whole time really, up until the moment that he died. And I was like, what if, mm-hmm. if you're a I know where you're person, going. Yep. your spirit gets to leave and your body does the work of the physical work of dying but if you're a okay. bad person like him, you get to stay in there the whole time up until the mm, death and who knows, maybe oh. after. Maybe you don't even mm. get released until your body's decomposed or or burned up or whatever. Yeah. But it was just, it was weird. I mean, I'd, it's, and it's hard to do a story like that justice mm. because you had to really be there to understand like what it looked like to see that he was present all the way up until when he died. That's it was just you know really what? Weird. That's a question yeah, that I would have loved you to have asked John Edward. Is like, do, does he ever speak to people that were bad, horrible people here? Does oh, those kind of people question. ever come through? And I didn't yeah. think to yeah. ask him that, but that's an amazing. That's because you were too busy you know crying I, the whole time. I know I did, I Penny. Like, I cried I the whole like thing. He's a, I feel like he's addressed <laughs> that, like in his show, I, or maybe on a live or something like that. I feel like he has addressed that. It Probably. seems like maybe he has, but yeah. I, I swear, like he, I well, know he, he doesn't like to tell people bad things, you know, like yeah. I, I mean, what yeah. he said is that when when they the people that come through are okay and they're they're happy, like when right. he talks yes. to them, they they're they're. They're fine. They're happy. There's nobody that comes through. It's like, I hate it here. Like, right. you know, like they're, they're all good. So I wonder if, if maybe evil people don't come through. I don't know. That's a great question. Well, or if he doesn't I don't know. share it. That is a good question. Maybe. I don't know. I just have this vision of them being locked in their body for a long time, doing penance for their crime. Yeah, so like a purgatory. I just, yeah. Oh, I yeah. heard you today, Penny, on your live talking about the movie that Erica and I just talked about, which is oh, um, What the Robin Dreams Williams. May Come. Oh, my gosh. Yes, is that what it's called? Oh, I love that movie. That movie, yeah. too. Yeah. 
Oh, me yeah. too. When I heard, I've I only heard seen that. it one time, and I will never forget it. It was so powerful, but also scared the bejesus out of me. Because honestly, I, I was never raised you. religious, really particularly. But I was. I never gave any thought to purgatory prior to that movie, and now I can't not think of oh, it. Oh, Catholics like, that's such a that, terrifying. That is a hard part. Yeah. I don't really like that part. My co- I have two cousins that killed themselves and and that's like yeah. really sad to me to think that I'm they sorry. could be punished for that in purgatory. But, but I do like the whole like idea that you get to choose if you want to come back or you get to be wherever is cool for you to be yeah. or, you know, I almost, and, and I you know what? I, with religion I, I either, almost so. feel like suicide is in my mind is different from inflicting harm on somebody else. Like, um, I, and I have heard John Edward has brought many people through that did kill themselves. I've heard him, you know, relay messages from people, um, that, that took their own life almost like, you know, I, I, I feel sorry. I feel guilty. I've done, you know, something. Um, so I almost feel like there's a difference. Like if you've done something to yourself, well, that's sad and that's, that's awful. I'm, I I don't know. In my mind, I kind of want to think that those two things are separate, like versus doing something yeah. horrible to another person. I don't, I don't know. That's, well, that's it's mental one. illness. It, you know, they can't help it. They can't right. help that any more than somebody with cancer yeah. can help dying from cancer. It's a mental illness. And that's what I they, think. You know, they always say somebody who dies by suicide doesn't really want to die. They just want to escape the pain they, of living. They don't want to hurt anymore. Yes. Erica, are you ready for your enema? <laughs> let's give Erica let's give Erica an enema of the week. Uh Erica, what's Not the me. enema of the week? Tell them. So Okay. Well, and everyone knows what our weekly enema is, but it's somebody that's deserving of some a big pile of shit. They're just they're deserving of unclogging their internal. Uh, okay, so the Enema Award is not something you want. No, it's correct. No, oh, it, it's, correct. you give it to somebody that's deserving of of a big pile of feces. Um, mm. Yeah. So yeah. Erica, it has some somebody in mind. Go ahead. Yes. Erica. So uh, a lot of you may have seen recently a a really tragic letter that I shared by a nurse named Tristan Kate Smith who wrote a letter entitled letter to my abuser. Uh, and, and I think we're going to talk about that on a later episode some more, but, um, it has recently come to my attention that in the wake of that, the hospital, and I'm not going to name the hospital, but, um, the hospital for the family planted a tree in her honor to me. That is the equivalent of a cold slice of pizza. That is a, a pen for a healthcare hero. That is, you know, the the bare minimum. And uh, someone has um, sent me pictures. And um, you know, while it's a nice a nice thought, I think um, they maybe perhaps purchased like the wish version of a tree. It's it- it looks Rather like a Charlie small Brown Christ- and, Christmas tree. Yes. And it's apparently in the back, like by a loading wow. dock where no one goes and no one will see it. Yeah. Wow. That's and just, so the just Enema special. Award of the Week goes to that hospital in question. Do better. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm assuming that they've done no other amazing things. That's probably no, no, not to my knowledge. No. And you know, if you read the letter, you know, that, um, there's definitely issues that occurred there, according to the letter that Tristan left behind. And, you know, you would think that the bare minimum they would do is try to put things in place to prevent this from happening to another nurse in the future. Of course not. But uh, as far as I know, that has not been the case. There's a tree. Mm. Well, they're well deserving of a big soap sud enema. I can tell you that. A big one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah. <sighs> wow. That's heavy, a hard story. Stuff. That's a really hard heavy story. Stuff. That's a heavy, I don't know how we ended up getting heavy, into a lot of this, but story that has uh, bothered, I think, most of us uh, all week. Has it been like a yeah. week since we've known? I think about a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been a very, very, very tough one. It's what a um, well thought out descriptive. Thing that yes. she encompassed what all of us and are, prophetic, are feeling unfortunately yeah i am uh sums it sums it all all up but uh yeah well i have a question for you ladies um what? to to end on a little bit of a spookier note all right okay. let's do it um, let's- along the lines of a spooky nurse story uh, it does not involve death per se, but, uh, have either of you had to encounter an exorcism in the course of your career working as a nurse? No, I'm Catholic. Don't want anything to do with that. Mm -mm -mm. Nope. No, but I worked with, uh, those damn night shift nurses. I tell (laughs) you when I worked at, when I worked at the the hospice, out of the night. (laughs) Well, we had a patient who had terminal agitation and one of the mm-hmm. night shift nurses in report said, we wondered if she'd been baptized. So we went in the chapel and we got some holy water and we sprinkled it on her. And I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, really? can you be a nurse instead of pushing your religion on somebody right. else and thinking that holy water is going to cure terminal agitation? All I can yeah. tell you is that if you grew up Catholic, that is believed in. That is um, drilled into your brain as a child. Um, demons, devils uh, being in- taken over by the devil, uh, possessed by the devil. Like, uh, I, it's no wonder I, I'm not more cuckoo than I am. But I mean, <laughs> I remember a Catholic school I went to all my life. That is just that movie, the one with the pea soup and the whole thing. Oh, scared the, 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 the literal yeah. out of me. Like, seriously. Yep scared the literal out of me because they they teach you that that is the end-all be-all so if anybody had said they needed exorcism i can tell you my ass would run right out the door i don't want nothing to do with that i had a patient Mm -hmm. that had an exorcism believe it or not that's why i ask so it look at jessica's eyes are big (laughs) i know i'm ready like run run run." (laughs) so it was a um female adolescent that came in presenting straight psych straight psych you know but wasn't responding to anything and was hospitalized for quite a period of time and the family was I believe Hispanic and there was a little bit of a language barrier and a cultural um you know kind of a barrier differences and eventually after she had been there for weeks 
they requested to be able to bring in their priest and do an exorcism. And I think it went through, I don't know that it went to the ethics committee necessarily, but like it went, it got, it went up there a few, you know, a little bit, it got escalated. And finally they did. I don't think they even waited for us to say, yes, we just, I just walked in one day and they were full blown. Look at my eyeballs again. I know, I know. And they had, like God, 20 people at bedside. You know, we had a max of two visitation, right? Didn't matter. They had 20 people in there. Um, there's a priest doing all kinds of chants in a different language. And um, there's wh- what I assume to be some nuns. They kind of appeared that way. And they're <laughs> all just kind of like, what do you mean? I mean, they, they didn't because they weren't wearing like a typical habit. You know, oh, okay. May, okay. they don't yeah, dress right. like that anymore. Yeah. yeah no. So they were like circled around. It was a whole thing. And I had to go in there to like reprogram the pump or something. Oh, I don't know. And I was just like, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, and I was normally the visitation Nazi. Like you have to go, you have to go, but I okay, was wait, like, what, I'm what not was having this? any part wait, of wait, this. Wait. Before you tell the end, what was this girl's symptoms that they felt she needed an exorcism? What was the exhibiting? What was this person doing? Um, she had apparently been like a very kind of innocent, mean. sweet girl. No. And, and, you know, suddenly was like then cursing. Became they mean? had never heard okay. her, um, react this way was just like spewing, um, hate towards pea anyone. Soup? Pea soup? No, it not wasn't pea, pea soup. soup. Okay. Just very uncharacteristic okay, and you okay. couldn't calm her down. It was, you know, that kind of thing. So fast forward, she ended okay. up eventually being diagnosed with anti-NMDA, which is a type of encephalitis that does present as straight oh. sight. It's an actually fascinating disease. But wow. um, how many times has this probably happened in the past and they think the that bedside. they're possessed by a demon? Oh, yeah. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Once we started learning about that. Did the exorcism do anything? Did it work? Did it cause any change? Not that I recall. However, it wasn't too long oh, after God. that that they finally figured out the diagnosis. And so then they pro- treated uh-uh. appropriately, you know? Mm? Okay. But yeah, before we knew about that, it makes you wonder how many people were institutionalized back in the day that mm-hmm. genuinely had a or medical a issue. Or burned at the stake. Right. Oh, my right. gosh. That's right. so scary. Oh, yeah, there were Salem witch trials. Yeah. They burned so... people at the stake if they had epilepsy. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so freaking creepy. Imagine walking uh, in a room in a peds unit, no less, and they're doing an exercise. <laughs> wow. No, no. That right there is my worst. That, that ranks with children of the corn. Do you remember that movie? Uh-uh. Yes. <laughs> nope. Yes. Don't Malachi. like it. Ain't do- yeah. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Don't even. <laughs> Nurse Jessica don't like this kind of stuff. <laughs> Don't get me into that religious kind of stuff. All right, Nurse Penny, speaking of Malachi, where can people find you on social media? <laughs> I am on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Hospice Nurse Penny, all one word, Hospice Nurse Penny and on all, in all, all the honesty, socials. Her, her stuff is actually very educational but it entertaining is. at the same time. Yes, um, thank you. She does a great job of um, delivering it um, – as people's uh, attention spans in this day and age are very short, yes. uh, fused, short span. Um, she does a great job of delivering um, a message. If you're interested in learning about um, death, dying, um, crossing over, hospice, all things that um, 
need to be uh, dived into Normalized. a lot further because it is a reality of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you definitely should follow uh, Hospice Nurse Penny. She's yeah. everywhere. Um, look forward to our next podcast. We have more cool guests coming up this month. Mm-hmm. You don't want to miss it in this uh, spooky month of October. Ooh. Oh, 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 o